Welcome to the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Hey, what's happening everybody? My name is Rick and I'll be your guide on this little journey to get your true crime and paranormal fix. We'll be talking about everything from monsters in the closets to monsters next door. So make sure you keep an eye on your neighbor, you look under your bed, you check your closets, because the stuff of nightmares starts now. Warning. This episode may contain graphic descriptions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to the special Christmas episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. My buddy Tony, the host of There Is Something Out There podcast, and myself put together an episode that you guys might enjoy for this festive occasion. So put some logs on the fire, put on your headphones, and enjoy the show. Hey folks, this is Tony Palacio, the host of There Is Something Out There. And this is Rick Ness, the host of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Hey Rick, how you doing today, bud? Good, how are you doing, Tony? Doing good, man. I'm glad that we can actually finally collab on something. Uh, Rick has helped me out on uh, an episode of mine, and I've helped Rick do some voiceovers on his podcast. If you haven't heard of it, uh, go check it out. So I've helped Rick out. I did some reading on one of his episodes, and he helped me out on one of my episodes, too. So what we figured we'd do is come together and give you guys a a little Christmas episode uh, in collaboration with each other. He's going to be doing some weird news stories, and I'm going to be doing some weird news stories. So without further ado, let's get into it. Jail employees face charges after using Baby Shark song to punish inmates. Have you heard that song, Rick? Actually, I hadn't. You hadn't heard it at all. Until you sent it. <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. So, um... I can't say that I miss it either. <laughs> <laughs> it got stuck in my head one day. <laughs> it's horrible. Um... Inmates at an Oklahoma jail were handcuffed to a wall and forced to stand and listen to the ubiquitous children's tune on repeat. Three former jail employees in Oklahoma are now facing criminal charges after they forced inmates to listen repeatedly to Baby Shark, the wildly popular song beloved by children and despised by parents around the globe, according to court records. Christian Miles and Gregory Butler, both 21 and former Oklahoma County Jail detention officers, as well as their former supervisor, Christopher Hendershot, were charged on Monday with cruelty to prisoners, corporal punishment to an inmate, and conspiracy, Oklahoma County District Court records show. On at least five occasions in November and December involving five inmates, each separately, Mr. Miles and Mr. Butler placed the inmate into an empty attorney visitation room, according to affidavits. The two then handcuffed the inmate against the wall, forcing him to stand for as long as two hours in internal investigation preceding the charges found. Baby Shark was played on repeat through a computer while the inmate was forced to listen to it. The song was said to be a joke between Miles and Butler, Mr. Miles told investigators. David Prater, the Oklahoma County District Attorney, said the three had acted conjointly, willfully, and wrongfully in a cruel or inhumane manner when they subjected inmates to the punishment. Playing the song on repeat put undue emotional stress on the inmates who were most likely already suffering from being handcuffed to the wall, Mr. Prater wrote. And if listening to the song through a tinny computer speaker while being handcuffed to a wall wasn't bad enough, at least two inmates had their sleep disrupted. 
According to court records, one of the inmates was pulled into the room shortly after 3 a.m., while another was subjected to the punishment shortly after 2 a.m. Lieutenant Hendershot failed to properly supervise and discipline Mr. Butler and Mr. Miles, the district attorney said. Mr. Butler and Mr. Miles were the subject of numerous inmate complaints that detailed their history of mistreatment, Mr. Prater wrote. Though the three charges are misdemeanors, Mr. Prater told the Oklahoma newspaper that he would have preferred filing a felony on this behavior. It was unfortunate that I could not find a felony statute to fit this scenario, he said. It was unclear on Tuesday night who was representing the three defendants. Mr. Butler and Mr. Miles resigned during the internal investigation, and Lieutenant Hendershot retired, the county sheriff P.D. Taylor told the paper. Efforts to reach Mr. Taylor on Tuesday evening were unsuccessful. The song Baby Shark, which opens with the gripping lyric, Baby Shark do 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 has captured, has captivated the attention of hordes of children, including the daughter of the former Washington Nationals outfielder, Gerardo Parra. The song rang from the speakers at the team's stadium throughout the 2019 season, as if baseball wasn't bad enough. They did that to everybody. But in addition to the episode in Oklahoma, the tune has found more sinister uses. Last year, the city of West Palm Beach, Florida, blared Baby Shark to deter homeless people from sleeping outside of an event center. Um, so I did. So they were able to get an audio file. Uh, it definitely could be triggering for a lot of people, um, and it, you know, obviously it's 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 really intense because these guys are going through a lot of pain right now. Um, so you know, my apologies to them and their families. Um, so yeah, I think I sent you that file. Did you get to check that out completely? I did, and I'll never get that time back. Okay, now I don't have a problem with them using this for criminals. Because <laughs> in my opinion, you did something you weren't supposed to be doing. <laughs> Deal with this shit more. Yeah, right. You did, you did the crime. Now do the time, baby shark. Exactly. I wonder if the uh, the uh, holding. I wonder if the holding cell that they put them in, or if they called it the shark tank. <laughs> no, man. That I don't know. Yo, did you hear they're sending little Debo to the shark tank? Oh no, man. Come on, not Debo. Yeah, man, the shark tank. Oh. <laughs> happening okay stay away from the big guy with all the tattoos they nicknamed him hammerhead <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. how many times have you been in the shirt tank this year man uh, seven brother <laughs> okay well on a lighter note i'm gonna change it up a little bit i'll give you one of mine this just happened last week okay great so in prison illegally produced alcohol is sometimes referred to as toilet wine <laughs> But in Alabama, authorities found an illegal winemaking operation so large, it needed an entire sewage plant. I'm sorry, I heard this. Last Thursday, the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office raided the Rainsville Wastewater Treatment Plant in Rainsville, Alabama, after receiving an anonymous tip about illegal winemaking. According to WHTN News 19, Authorities stated they found a large wine production operation that appeared to have been in there and in use for quite some time, housed in a little-frequented part of the facility. Photo images provided by the news site showed over a dozen large jugs containing mostly red liquid, as well as plenty of fermentation buckets and other winemaking equipment. No official numbers were given on the size of the operation, but based on a quick assessment of these photos, 
they would appear to show that at least 300 bottles worth of wine were in clear fermentation vessels. By Friday, Alan Maurice Stifle, a 62-year-old supervisor who had worked for the city for about 15 years, was charged with unlawful possession of an illegally manufactured alcoholic beverage and use of official position for personal gain, which is a misdemeanor and felony charge respectively, according to a follow-up from WHNT. Reportedly, Stifle, who had no previous issues with being suspended without pay after his arrest, was one of just four employees at the plant with Rainsville Mayor Roger Lingerfeld stating that he didn't expect anyone else to be suspended. So the sheriff says, I want to thank the mayor for his cooperation and willingness to allow law enforcement to do our job and shut something like this down. Sheriff Nick Weldon was quoted as saying, This is definitely one of the biggest operations we've seen in our country and possibly our state. A big thanks to the public and their tips against all illegal activities. Once again, it doesn't matter who you are, no one is above the law. We will not tolerate anyone using their position to hide their illegal actions to the taxpayers' expenses. As for the wine itself, the Gadsden Times reported that no wastewater or wastewater equipment were used to make the booze. The two operations were apparently completely separate. That said, even with the finest water and the best equipment, how good can wine made in an Alabama sewage treatment plant really be? <laughs> so that is my first one. <laughs> It's probably better than that uh, malt liquor called Camo. I don't know. I bet you it just tastes like shit. <laughs> it goes without saying, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I actually heard about that. I was going to do that story. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't. It's a good thing the, wa- the wine wasn't blue. Right. <laughs> because it would be very hard to differentiate, you know, the blue water that you see in treatment plants and stuff like that and and wine. Right, yeah. I'm sure they don't care. They're in prison. And if, you know, if they have to look forward to getting in trouble i don't know though man that's a you know it's like listen man if we get caught doing this you know where we're going we're going to the shark tank man and i don't know if i can deal with that again <laughs> that's true we did it they're ballsy that's true they're ballsy all right well i do have one more story uh a lighter note here this one's actually kind of cute oregon humane society getting hundreds of guinea pigs ready for adoption this comes out of portland oregon uh, via kptv The Oregon Humane Society is working to get 250 guinea pigs ready for adoption after rescuing them from an overwhelmed pet owner in Lane County. The OHS team was called in to help Lane County Animal Services and Green Hill Humane Society get the animals out of the home and transport them to Portland for any medical treatments. They are also working to help support the pet owner and connect them with resources. The Cat and Kitten Intake Center at OHS has been transformed to help care for the guinea pigs and get them ready for adoptions. The timeline for adoption will be announced in the next few days. There will be a special process for adopting a guinea pig, and OHS specialists will work with potential adopters to make sure they are a good fit. Despite the challenges of the pandemic, the need to help pets and people continues, says Sharon Harmon, OHS president and CEO. The situation is a great example of animal welfare agencies working together to serve our community. And if you would like to help, OHS is accepting donations to care for these little guinea pigs and nearly 600 other animals in OHS's care. <laughs> so if anybody's looking for a guinea pig for Christmas, contact the OHS in Portland, Oregon, because they have 200 and something of them. Which, which I don't get that. Hmm. How do you end up with 250 guinea pigs? That is a very good question. Oh, I was just going to say that it's hard to, uh, even veterinarians can have a hard time uh, sexing or de- 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 determining the sex of guinea pigs. So you can get a male guinea pig and another male guinea pig or a male guinea pig and a female guinea pig and not really even know it. 
So uh, that's what I heard that they plan to do is that they were because they like to go out in couples. So they were going to adopt them out as, as, as in, in couples. So they're trying to figure out what the sexes of them are now. <laughs> so you can be the lucky person to take them home and end up with 230 guinea pigs. Not even know it. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like gremlins. You just can't feed them after 12. You can't get them wet or else you're going to have a whole shit show of evil guinea pigs running around or rabbits or rabbits. They're really cute, though. I've never had a All right. guinea pig. I had a mouse one time. I had a guinea pig one time, and they can be mean. Can they? They like to chew on fingers. I had a rabbit, and she was an asshole. I had two rabbits that ended up becoming four rabbits, which ended up becoming like 16 rabbits, which ended up becoming like 30-some rabbits that ended up going to the SPCA. Oh, wow. So this uh, this story hits home for you, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know. If I would have known, I would have brought it up. <laughs> So you just you just go in with boxes of rabbits. Hold on, can I get some help out here? Yes. Well, I'm gonna read you a Ranker.com weird history article. Okay, excellent. It's called "Why Do People in Spain Add Someone Openly Pooping to Their Nativity Scenes?" <laughs> so you're gonna have to forgive me on this because I am not. I don't know how bad I'm gonna butcher some of these words. But we're going to go for it. Christmas traditions around the world vary greatly, but the Catalonian Kaganer statue is by far the oldest addition you can make to your nativity scene. What is a Kaganer? It's a Catalan pooping figurine that is added to Catalonian nativity scenes every holiday season. It's not a scary figurine, and like Yule Logs, Elves, and Mistletoe, has a long history and huge cultural significance, particularly in Barcelona and other parts of Spain. When you look at it, though, it certainly doesn't evoke the same gravitas as other European holiday occasions, but the story behind it is one so bizarre that it is definitely still worth knowing. The word Kaganer literally means pooper or crapper. The name of the figurine, the Kaganer, doesn't hide what the statue is doing because he's defecating. The figure has his pants down and is squatting with a pile of brown poop underneath him. And all in all, it's fairly self-explanatory. According to scholars, the Kaganer statue was introduced to nativity scenes in Catalonia in either the late 17th or early 18th century. Over the past two centuries, the presence of the Kaganer statue has become more and more common in nativity scenes in Catalonia. Traditionally, the Kaganer statue wears a Catalonian red hat and a white peasant shirt to indicate that he is poor. He may also be smoking a pipe or a cigarette. At times, however, people dress up the Kaganer to look like celebrity, a politician, or some other public figure. In the past, the Kaganer has been designed to look like popes, queens, and icons of all kinds. When the Kaganer statue is placed into a nativity scene, he typically takes a back seat to the main players. He may be in a corner or far in the background or even hidden from immediate view. So because the Kaganer isn't in the foreground of the, nat of the nativity scene, it's a game to find him. And children in Catalonia play a game where they look for the Kaganer each morning, which is basically like the elf on the shelf, where you kind of move it around and hide it. It's like um, Where's Waldo? <laughs> yes. So there are a lot of theories about the symbolism of the Kaganer. It's possible that Catalans placed him in nativity scenes for fertility and good luck during the coming year. Poop is technically fertilizer, so it's not a stretch to see the fertility connection. Also, the only offering a poor shepherd could make to their newly born Jesus. Over time, not placing a Kaganer was considered bad luck for the coming agricultural season. 
It's also possible that the statue is a reminder that God will appear when he is ready, when the urge strikes him, <laughs> much like the need to poop. <laughs> Other possible reasons for the presence of the Kaganer include the contrast to the holiness of the birth of Jesus or human weakness and dependence upon the human body. There are theories that it is placed into the nativity scene to demonstrate a pagan cleansing himself or his previous religious beliefs. An additional line of thought is that the Kaganer is supposed to bring a, a look of shock to people who see it, similar to that of the shepherd that heard the angel in the nativity story. Several cultural perspectives of the Kaganer figure include ideas about his poor worker persona and what it represents to Catalans. The Kaganer is a hard worker and he is using all of his resources, his own fertilizer, efficiently, or he is demonstrating his opposition to traditional civilizing norms. Catalans are known for their work ethic and for their cultural uniqueness, both exemplified by the Kaganer. It's not as common to see the Kaganer as an act of defiance, but there are individuals that see the statue as offensive. Some theories also suggest the Kaganer is showing the excess of festivals and celebration, especially those of the pagan variety. Catalonia is where the majority of Kaganer figurines appear, but they're also found in Valencia, Portugal, and in parts of Italy. They often go by other names. Cagones, Cagos, Cacon, or Pastore Checaca, the crapping shepherd, but the symbolism remains the same. Shakaka. <laughs> so each home in Catalonia buys a Kaganer for the holiday season, but some collectors buy as many as they can find, with more and more popular figurines being represented as Kaganers, which may serve to bring those individuals down to a human level, by the way. With more and more popular figures being represented as Kaganers, some collectors have hundreds of figurines. Catalans also practice Chao de Nadal, or feeding the log. Each December 8th, children take a hollow log out to the yard, decorated with a smiley face and a red hat. Each night, the children would offer the log fruit, nuts, and water. They would then cover it with a blanket. On Christmas Eve, children would stand around the log, hit it with a stick, and sing the traditional Tal de Nadal song. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll tell it to you. Shit log, shit nougats, hazelnuts, and motto cheese. If you don't shit well, I'll hit you with a stick, shit log. <laughs> Lo and behold, on Christmas morning, the log would poop out a bunch of presents. If that isn't a true celebration... I don't know what is. <laughs> and that is that one. <laughs> and I don't know why both of mine had to deal with poop. <laughs> I just happened to look up very weird traditions. And Spain pretty much took the cake on it. <laughs> both of ours had to do with, with poop and shitty songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to play the song, but the song is just... Oh, I'm sure it sounds great. So... I, uh, I got a picture of one of these little things here. They they do. They make these like little statues. You can go online and get them. Like they're everywhere. Yeah. They're like little. <laughs> they're these little. There's one of Trump. <laughs> <laughs> there's the Pope. Or the poop. There's Obama. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's one of. Uh, uh, what's his name? What's that little. Um. What's that little uh, evil creature from Lord of the Rings? There's one of him doing My it. My precious. Wow. Yeah, right? Oh, wow. But dude, th yeah, so they make these things like... There's there's hundreds of these things, man. There's Michael Jackson doing one. Oh, man. There's Mario and the Queen. Wow. 
That is, that's amazing. I never knew that before. God, man, the internet. Hey folks, it's Tony again. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I enjoyed uh, recording it with Rick. Um, you know, stay tuned. We're probably going to do a couple more things like this off into the, uh, into the future once we get out all the, all the kinks and all the bugs and gremlins and stuff like that. Rick, man, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, uh, I really appreciate you helping me out with this. Yes, it's been fun. It's different. I'm not used to, to talking with somebody, you know, and, and doing the show. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's, it's tricky, but we'll figure it out. Anyways, folks, like I said, thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the new listens and all the new downloads and things like that. Um, Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. Everybody be safe. Have a great new year and just keep a listen out for us. Um, trying to get new episodes out as soon as possible. We'll go from there. Let's uh, let's build this thing. Copy that, brother. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. Merry Christmas. For this special Christmas episode, I'm going to read a Ranker.com article by Jake Black. It's titled The Seven Murders Committed by People Dressed as Santa Claus. Let's do it. Ever since Santa Claus became the universal symbol for Christmas, many have chosen to exploit his joyous image, often turning the beloved figure into something rather sinister. After all, there is something inherently creepy about a man who sneaks into homes under the cover of darkness. The scary movies and urban legends involving a vicious Santa Claus are nothing compared to the real-life horrors spawned by these Santa-inspired murders. Only requiring access to a red and white suit and a willingness to commit atrocities, these Santa crimes represent a special kind of deranged behavior. To disguise oneself as the ever-generous Kris Kringle, only to take life away from the innocent is simply unforgivable. Still, somehow, murders committed by people dressed up as Santa just keep happening. A Covina Christmas party went up in flames. On Christmas Eve in 2008 in the small city of Covina, a suburb of Los Angeles, California, a man knocked on the front door of his former in-law's home. It was nearing midnight and approximately 25 people were inside the house attending a festive Christmas party. When the door was opened, 45-year-old Bruce Pardo was standing in front of the home carrying a gift-wrapped package in one hand and a semi-automatic handgun in the other. He was dressed from head to toe in a Santa Claus suit which concealed three additional handguns. Having just finished his divorce the week before, it's believed that Pardo went to the party where he knew his ex-wife and her family would be celebrating with the intention of taking revenge. As soon as eight-year-old Leticia, Pardo's ex-wife's sister, answered the door, Pardo held up his gun and shot the young girl. Partygoers immediately tried to flee, at which point Pardo began firing randomly into the crowded home. It was only after completing the shooting that Pardo unwrapped the package he was holding and revealed a homemade flamethrower. He promptly burned the house to the ground. Afterward, Pardo killed himself with a single gunshot wound to the head. Dental records were later used to identify the victim's remains, and it was revealed that nine people were murdered by Pardo that night, including his ex-wife and her parents. Santa showed up to a New Year's Eve party, and it turned into a terrorist attack. On New Year's Eve 2017, a man dressed in a Santa Claus costume showed up outside of a packed nightclub in Istanbul, Turkey. At around 1.45 a.m., the man suddenly pulled out a long-barreled gun and murdered a policeman and a civilian outside of the club and then made his way inside. 
while inside among hundreds of people partying their way into the new year at the Reina nightclub, the man with a Santa hat opened fire on anyone unlucky enough to be within his range. This was described as a terror attack for which ISIS later claimed responsibility. Abu Muhammad Horasani ended up killing 39 people and wounding 69 others while dressed as Santa Claus that night. After nearly two weeks of searching, police finally located Horasani at his friend's apartment where they discovered more firearms, ammunition, drones, and $200,000 cash. A property dispute turns a holiday party into a battleground. In 2012, in the city of Jaffa, Israel, two men wearing a set of Santa Claus masks and beards ended up committing a heinous crime during what would have been a beautiful Christmas procession. Allegedly, the motive involved a property dispute between the Abu Mana family and the Jaffa Orthodox Church Association, which owned the land that the family's home was located on. During the parade, two men named Fuad Abu Mana and Tufik Dalau donned Christmas Claus disguises and proceeded to stalk the leader of the church association, Gabriel Cadiz. Concealing knives beneath their clothes, the two men took turns wearing the Santa Claus costume and followed Cadiz back to his car. It was in the parking lot that Mana then stabbed Cadiz twice in the back, severing a major artery and puncturing his lung in the process. Then the two men fled the scene and left him to die. Caught on security cameras as they left the scene on foot, Mana and Delu were eventually charged with murder and sentenced to lengthy prison sentences. A Texas Santa Claus flew into a rage and murdered his entire family. In a Dallas suburb on Christmas Day in 2011, a 56-year-old Aziz Yazden Pana was put on a Santa suit and made his way to the apartment of his estranged wife and two teenage children. Three other relatives also happened to be visiting the apartment to celebrate the holiday with the family. Text messages sent from Yazdan Panawaz's 22-year-old niece on the day eerily marked his arrival at the home. We just got here and my uncle is here too. Dressed as Santa. Awesome. 15 minutes after Aziz arrived, another text was sent saying, Now he wants to be all fatherly and win father of the year. Then just 20 minutes later, Aziz called 911 himself and shouts for help could be heard in the background while he calmly spoke into the phone. I am shooting people. When the police arrived three minutes later, they found everyone in the apartment dead still gathered around the Christmas tree where they had been opening presents before Yazdan Pana was pulled out the gun and ended their lives. Santa Claus murders don't just happen on Christmas. Despite Halloween being a few months early to see the likes of Santa Claus, on October 31st, 2017, a man dressed as Santa Claus in Austin, Texas, was told by guests at his own party that he needed to go to bed. According to witnesses, the Santa Claus impersonating host, Randall Gaston Jones, was highly intoxicated as the Halloween party continued on until around 6 a.m. the next morning. After being told to calm down and call it a night by his friends, Jones went into his bedroom and suddenly returned with a gun. It was then that he fired a shot into the floor, sending most of his guests scattering. Michael McCloskey, the guest who chose to confront Jones, ended up being shot several times, while three other partygoers were also showered with bullets in the process. When police were finally called to Jones's house, they found the victims covered in blood. Tragically, 
McCloskey died from his gunshot wounds, and Jones was promptly taken into custody. A bank robbing Santa Claus turned to murder. In a scene that seems like it's right out of a Western film, an ex-convict by the name of Marshall Ratliff put on a Santa suit, entered a bank in the small Texas town of Cisco, and robbed the place. On December 23, 1927, Ratliff and some of his ex-convict friends held up the bank at gunpoint and left with more than $12,000 in cash, a huge sum at that time, and around $150,000 in other items. After shooting up the bank and leaving over 200 bullet holes scattered across the walls, Ratliff, dressed in the big man's red and white suit, took two female hostages and proceeded to lead the police on an epic chase that one witness described as surpassing anything in which Billy the Kid or James Boys had ever figured. When the chase was over and Ratliff was captured, Ratliff ended up pleading insanity, but the citizens of Texas were having none of it as they broke Ratliff out of jail and lynched him for his crimes. In the end, the botched robbery ended up costing six people their lives, including three of the robbers. Santa Claus went on a stabbing spree in the streets of London. As far as motive is concerned, most Santa Claus-themed murders are relatively clear-cut. But in late November of 2005, a man in London, England, donned a Santa Claus disguise and murdered another man, 25-year-old Sikandar Shaheen, and police never figured out why. Leaving behind only the Santa hat and beard that he entered the apartment wearing, the Santa Claus killer stabbed his victim to death and fled the scene. Though a neighbor heard shouting that sounded like someone had woken up from a nightmare and attempted to chase the attacker, he was unable to catch him. Upon returning to the apartment, the neighbor saw Shaheen collapse in the hallway and that's where police found him, bleeding from several severe stab wounds. Shaheen was taken to the hospital, but he was unable to describe his attacker before he died, and to this day, the killer was never found. Hey there, I'm Tony Palacio, host of There Is Something Out There, a new podcast dedicated to true crime, the mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, home of Bigfoot and some of America's most notorious serial killers, I'm going to present to you the world's worst crimes, scariest monsters, strangest stories, tall tales, and totally terrifying testimonials. Join me as we discover that the noises you hear may not just be your imagination. There is something out there. You can find me wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, including Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. Thank you. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. The customs of the holiday season, which include St. Nicholas Day, New Year's Day, and Epiphany, 
as well as Christmas, often incorporate earlier pagan traditions that have been appropriated and adapted for contemporary use. Customs that encourage little children to be good so as to deserve their Christmas gifts often come with a dark side. The punishment you'll receive from a monster or evil being of some sort if you aren't good. These nefarious characters vary from place to place and they go by many different names. Krampus. As a tool to encourage good behavior in children, Santa serves as the carrot, and Krampus is the stick. Krampus is the evil demon anti-Santa, or maybe his evil twin. Krampus may look like a devil or like a wild alpine beast, depending on the region and what materials are available to make a Krampus costume. Krampus Night is celebrated on December 5th, the eve of St. Nicholas Day in Austria and other parts of Europe. Public celebrations that night have many Krampuses walking the streets looking for people to beat. In recent years, the tradition has spread beyond Europe and many cities in America now have their own Krampus Nights. Yulakturin is the Icelandic Yule Cat or Christmas Cat. He's not a nice cat. In fact, he might eat you. This character is tied to an Icelandic tradition in which those who finished all their work on time received new clothes for Christmas, while those who were lazy did not. To encourage children to work hard, parents told the tale of the Yule Cat, saying that Yulakturin could tell who the lazy children were because they did not have at least one new item of clothing for Christmas, and these children would be sacrificed to the Yule Cat. This reminder tends to spur children into doing their chores. A poem written about the cat ends with a suggestion that children help out the needy. You all know the Yule Cat, and that cat was huge indeed. People didn't know where he came from or where he went. He opened his glaring eyes wide, the two of them glowing bright. It took a really brave man to look straight into them. His whiskers sharp as bristles, his back arched up high, and the claws of his hairy paws were a terrible sight. He gave a wave of a strong tail he jumped and he clawed and he hissed. Sometimes up in the valley, and sometimes down by the shore. He roamed at large, hungry and evil, in the freezing Yule snow in every home. People shuddered at his name. If one heard a pitiful meow, something evil would happen soon. Everybody knew he hunted men, but didn't care for mice. He picked on the very poor that no new garments got for Yule, 
who toiled and lived in the dire need. From them he took one fell swoop, their whole Yule dinner, always eating it himself if he possibly could. Hence it was that the woman at their spinning wheel sat, spinning a colorful thread from a frock or a little sock. Because you mustn't let the cat get a hold of the little children, they had to get something new to wear from the grown-ups each year. And when the lights came on, on Yule Eve, and the cat peered in, the little children stood rosy and proud, all dressed up in their new clothes. Some had gotten an apron and some had gotten shoes, or something that was needed. That was all it took. For all who got something new to wear stayed out of that pussycat's grasp. He then gave an awful hiss, but went on his way. Whether he still exists, I do not know, but his visit would be in vain if next time everybody got something new to wear. Now you might be thinking of helping where help is needed most. Perhaps you'll find some children that have nothing at all. Perhaps searching for those that live in a lightless world will give you a happy day and a merry, merry Yule. Frau Perchta. Tales in Germany and Austria sometimes feature a witch named Frau Perchta who hands out both rewards and punishments during the 12 days of Christmas. She is best known for her gruesome punishment of the sinful. She will rip out your internal organs and replace them with garbage. The ugly image of Perchta may show up in Christmas processions in Austria somewhat like Krapus. Perchta's story is thought to have descended from a legendary alpine goddess of nature who tends the forest most of the year and deals with humans only during Christmas. In modern celebrations, Perchta or a close relation may show up in processions during Fastnacht, the Alpine festival just before Lent. There may be some connection between Frau Perchta and the Italian witch La Bafenia, but La Bafenia isn't really a monster. She's an ugly, but good witch who leaves presents. Balsnickel is a male character from southwestern German lore who traveled to the United States and survives in Pennsylvania Dutch customs. He comes to children sometime before Christmas wearing tattered old clothing and raggedy fur. Balsnickel carries a switch to frighten children and candy to reward them for good behavior. In modern visits, the switch is only used for noise and to warn children that they still have time to be good before Christmas. Then all the children get candy if they are polite about it. The name Belschnickel is a portmanteau of the German Belgian, meaning to wallop, and nickel for St. Nicholas. Necht, Rupach, and Ru Klaus are similar characters from German folklore who dole out beatings to bad children, leaving St. Nicholas to reward good children with gifts. Hans Trapp. Hans Trapp is another anti-Santa who hands out punishment to bad children in the Alsace and Lorraine regions of France. The legend says that Trapp was a real man, 
a rich, greedy, and evil man who worshiped Satan and was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He was exiled into the forest where he preyed upon children disguised as a scarecrow with straw jutting out from his clothing. He was about to eat one boy he captured when he was struck by lightning and killed, a punishment of his own from God. Still, he visits young children before Christmas, dressed as a scarecrow to scare them into good behavior. French legend of Pierre Fouta, whose name translates to Father Whipper, begins with an evil butcher who craved children to eat. He, or his wife, lured three boys into his butcher shop, where he killed, chopped, and salted them. Saint Nicholas came to the rescue, resurrected the boys, and took custody of the butcher. The captive butcher became Pierre Fouta, Saint Nicholas's servant, whose job it is to dispense punishment to bad children on St. Nicholas Day. Yolasvenar. The Yolasvenar, or Yule Lads, are 13 Icelandic trolls who each have a name and distinct personalities. In ancient times, they stole things and caused trouble around Christmas time, so they were used to scare children into behaving like the Yule Cat. However, the 20th century brought tales of the benevolent Norwegian figure Jolanis, Santa Claus, who brought gifts to good children. The traditions became mingled until the formerly devilish Jolasvenar became kind enough to leave gifts in shoes that children leave out. F they are good boys and girls, that is. All of the Yule Lads answer to Grilla, their mother. She predates the Yule Lads and Icelandic legend as the ogress who kidnaps cooks and eats children who don't obey their parents. She only became associated with Christmas in the 17th century when she was assigned to be the mother of the Yule Lads. According to legend, Grilla had three different husbands and 72 children, all who caused trouble ranging from harmless mischief to murder. And, as if the household wasn't crowded enough, the Yule Cat also lives with Grilla. You don't mess with Grilla, says Terry Gunnell, the head of the folklorist's department at the University of Iceland. She rules the roost up in the mountains. Tales of the Ogress began as oral accounts with the earliest written references found in the 13th century in historic sagas and poems throughout the region. One reads, Here comes Grilla, 
down in the field with 15 tails on her. While another describes, down comes Grilla from the outer fields with 40 tails, a bag on her back, a sword knife in her hand, coming to carve out the stomachs of the children who cry for meat during Lent. In Iceland, the midwinter holiday known as Yule, a version of the Old English and Old Germanic word Yule, which describes this time of gathering together, feasting, and celebrating, and which evolved into a modern Christmas, is generally darker than in the U.S. According to Gunnell, the earliest celebrations of the season were viewed as a time not only to bring together relatives living in the deceased, but also elves, trolls, and other magical and spooky creatures believed to inhabit the landscape. Sometimes these figures would visit in the flesh as masked figures going around to farms and houses during the season. Grilla, whose name translates loosely to Growler, would be among these, showing up with a horned tail and a bag in which she would toss naughty children. Grilla did not get connected to Christmas until around the early 19th century, when poems began to associate her with the holiday. It was also about this time when the Yule Lads and Yule Cat, which had been standalone Christmas characters with no connection to the Christmas Witch, then became part of her big, creepy family. Prior to that, she was really a personification of the winter and the darkness and the snow getting closer and taking over the land again, according to Gunnell. Not only did she represent the threat of winter, she was seen as actually controlling the landscape. Gunnell explains that the Icelandic people understood themselves to be more like tenants of their harsh environment, where glaciers, volcanoes, and earthquakes dominate, and would view mythical creatures like Grilla as the ones who were really running the show. Krampus only wishes he had such power. Speaking of supernatural beings abroad on Christmas Eve, what about the big man himself? Father Christmas. Santa. Oh, Saint Nick. Why do we hang a stocking out for him? Well, because, according to a legend, Saint Nicholas heard about three sisters who were forced into a life of prostitution to earn enough money to eat. So he tossed three coins down their chimney to help them, which landed in the girls' stockings drying on the hearth. Father Christmas, as a jolly old man with a white beard, was indeed thought to be based on St. Nicholas, who can be traced back to Asia Minor in about 350 AD, around the time Pope Julius was fixing the date of Jesus' birth. And somewhere along the way, he got mashed up with other folklorish characters, including Chris Krinkle from the 19th century German tradition. The magazine Harper's Weekly published what was thought to be the first illustration depicting modern Santa in the 1860s. Though he originally wore green robes and had associations with the green man of legend who ruled the woods and forests in pagan belief. It is often said that Coca-Cola invented the Santa we know and love today, swapping his traditional green livery for the red of Coke's branding. But though the company did debut ads featuring Father Christmas and join a Coke and a Smile in 1931, he had been seen in his more familiar red once or twice before then. Still, we've always got the Christmas tree, right? Nothing sinister about that. After all, we didn't really have them over here until Queen Victoria and Prince Albert popularized them in 1840. But perhaps we can bring the ancient mythology story of the goddess Sibel and the mortal Atis into this. (sighs) 
Sibel desired Otis, as the gods often did, regardless of the mortal's wishes, but Otis had set his cap at the daughter of a local king. Rather displeased, Sibel sent Otis mad, and he ran in a crazy rage throughout the mountains, and eventually, for reasons best known to himself, castrated himself at the foot of a pine tree. Which is perhaps something to think about when you're hanging the shiny balls on your Christmas fur this week. Merry Christmas. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out our sources in the show notes on Facebook and our website at www.thestuffofnightmares.show Like, share, and follow us on Facebook as well as subscribe and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have an experience that you would like to share with the show, you can either email me to admin at thestuffofnightmarespodcast.show or message me through Facebook. I am your host, Rick Ness, I will see you next episode where I hope to find out what keeps you up at night.